Welcome back once again to Cherish Ephesians 6.4. This week's article is titled, The Christian Conundrum, God, Please Change Me, But Don't Hurt Me. Like many Christians, I love the book of Romans. So much is explained there about God and his ways, me and my ways, and how God will bring me from where I am now to a place of eternal bliss in his presence. I especially like the part of the book that follows the first seven chapters. There, in the very first verse of chapter 8, Paul declares, and I think I hear a very loud and enthusiastic voice, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that might just be the best sentence in the entire Bible. But then he adds even more glory. He writes about walking with God in our lives, the fact that we are now sons and daughters of God, and what the future holds for us. In verses 28 through 30, he pens another section that has provoked praise from all those who have read this letter when he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Don't worry, I'm not going to try to explain all that is there. But there are a couple of things that I would like you to join me in considering. I regularly pray myself, as well as with my wife, a prayer based on verse 29. There Paul says that, we're going to be conformed to the image of God's Son, the Lord Jesus. On the surface, the Christian might think that this change Paul is writing about, a change that takes me from being a person who commits all kinds of sins every day to being a person who would think and behave like Jesus, it's going to happen when we die and go to heaven. Now that's a lovely thought, and who could possibly object? And it is true that I will need a major fix as I pass from this life to the next, but that's not the only time that this conformity Paul is talking about will occur. In order to understand how this is going to happen, I need to pay a little bit more attention to what has been written by Paul in the very same chapter. After he writes about Christians having a mind that must be set on the things of the Spirit, that's verse 5, and our adoption to God's family, that's verses 12 through 16, he drops the following verse in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So maybe Paul's talking about his personal sufferings and not something that I need to worry about or pay a lot of attention to. No, he's talking about all of us. This letter written by him was not a letter written to himself, but to the church members of the city of Rome. He goes on to explain further by saying that there is a groaning from the entire fallen creation looking to that day when Christ returns, and we too have this groaning deep inside our souls. So that raises another question. The first is, how will I be conformed to Christ? And the second is, do I have that groaning within me? Let's try to think through the first question, and I think the answer is found in verse 8, where Paul raises the issue of suffering within the context of the Christian life. The fact of the matter is, suffering is not just a minor add-on to the Christian life. It's, it's central. 
And here are a few reasons why it must be so. One, suffering destroys a person's idea that they're in control of their life because no one would choose to bring suffering on themselves. It's something that happens outside of their control. Two, suffering destroys a person's idea that they are self-reliant. God's people need to learn that they are completely reliant on the goodness and wisdom of God. Three, suffering reminds us that we own nothing. God owns it all, and he will do as he pleases with his possessions. Therefore, Job says in Job 121, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 4. Suffering destroys pride. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-8, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 5. Suffering is used by God to grow his church. Colossians 1, 24-26 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. The sixth reason why we need suffering. Suffering is needed to build godly character. Romans 5, 3-4 says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. 7. Suffering motivates us to pray and recognizes that God is the only one who can help us through. It's the time where we realize and say to God, We can't, therefore you must. And number eight, suffering destroys a love for this world by shattering our idols and clarifying that our love must be for God alone. I believe worldliness is the number one competitor for our hearts and is filled with a myriad of sinful desires that God hates. No man or woman who loves the world will enter the kingdom of God. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Does this mean that my prayer to be conformed to the image of Christ is a prayer for suffering? No, it's not a prayer for suffering. But it is a prayer for becoming one with Christ believing that our God will do exactly what I need to get there and to do it in such a way that he will work all of that suffering out for my good, which is my ultimate joy. That's why he tells us he'll do it that way back in Romans 8.28. And by the way, when Paul wrote about rejoicing in suffering, he wasn't saying that he enjoyed it. He was rejoicing in the end goal of that suffering and the loving faithfulness of the sovereign God that would take him through it all. And then there is that second question. Is there a groaning within you looking forward toward that future glory with God? Do you hate the sin that you see in the world? Do you groan as you observe so many people not just ignoring God, 
but gleefully doing the very things that he hates? What about the people blowing themselves up or shooting themselves up and on and on? Do you groan? Or are you pretty comfortable with how things are here on the good old planet Earth? Are you happy just minding your own business and pursuing as much time as you can with things that are fun? If so, you may not be suitable for what God has in store for us. And that's something to think about. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.